Welcome to episode 18 of You Are Not A Frog. Help! Work is taking over my life. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high-stress jobs. Working in today's high-stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boils alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. I'm really excited about episode 18. We have Dr. Jamie Wiley back on the podcast for another episode of Ask the Frog. Now, Jamie is a portfolio GP who lives in Great Yarmouth. He's also a co-presenter and helps uh, write and develop the Red Whale Lead Manage Thrive course. We talk about what to do when we feel that work is just seeping into every element of our lives. How do we attempt to get some control over it so that actually it's not affecting every tiny bit of us. So we have a really good conversation about that. Before we um, head into the episode, I just wanted to tell you about a couple of things. Um, I'm really pleased to say that we are offering resilience training for GPs, practice nurses, practice managers, every member of the primary healthcare team. So if you are running a training hub or a CEPN or um, LMC or a CCG and you're looking for some uh, resilience training for retention and support for your staff, then do get in touch. We can also train up GPs to run peer groups to support each other and we can provide support and supervision for that. We've also got an online course launching in March. We'll tell you more details of that soon. But if you'd like to find out more about any of this, then please do sign up to my mailing list. You can see details of that in the show notes um, and you'll be the first to know about upcoming podcasts and other events that we're running. So here's episode 18. I hope you enjoy it. It's really great to have Dr. Jamie Wiley back on the podcast for another episode of Ask the Frog. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Rachel. How are you today? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad at all. Looking forward to Christmas. Yes. So this will be probably be going out mid to late January. So by the time everyone's listening to this, Christmas will be over. We'll be in the new year. Wow. It's a strange thought. Yeah, there you go. So we have a, another question. So let me read it out. Dear, you are not a frog. Help, I can't seem to leave my work at work. I work three days as a salary GP in a busy practice. The days are long. I get there at around 7.30 in the morning and it's not uncommon for me to be there still at 7.30 p.m. The practice have recently bought me a laptop so I can dial in at home, which is helpful, but I constantly feel guilty if I'm not dialing in every day. 
I often have two to three hours of admin to catch up on at the weekend, and I'm beginning to resent the way that work is finding its way into every part of my life. I have another job at the CCG for one day a week and have to manage the rest of my life, including my three teenage children, on the other day. The problem is that even if I finished all my admin for the day, by the time I get home, I'm still wired. I find it difficult to relax. I feel quite tense after a long day at work and sometimes my kids and my partner bear the brunt of this work me, which I feel is very different from the me I want to be at home. Can you help? It's a very recognisable situation, isn't it? <laughs> Do we know anyone That's, like that? <laughs> yeah, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write this letter? <laughs> help, help. Yeah, that feels like real life, doesn't it? And there's all sorts of stuff in there, isn't there, about work and about work at home and about managing multiple jobs and about dealing with family and the pressures of family and also about being our best selves, both at work and at home. I do find this really hard when you've been engaged in something all day and then you hit home and boom, suddenly you have to be something very different or feel very different. And half the time my head is still in work mode. Yeah. How do you handle that? I find it really hard. I have sort of a, almost like a mental trick. So I think about work, about putting work in a box. And so as I drive away from work, there's something about saying, okay, I've gone through my routines and my, my routines, the last thing I do before I walk away from the surgery is check. For those of you who are on system one, you'll, you'll recognize this, looking at the bottom of the screen and checking that all of my particular tasks, my blood's inbox, my paperwork inbox, my tasks inbox, my patient's inbox, that is all at zero. And then I know I can walk away. And so for me, I tend not to walk away until they're at zero. And sometimes that leads to... As our questioner says, uh, sometimes it leads to staying longer than one should. Uh, not as often as perhaps it used to for me. And partly that's to do with the way work has changed and partly that's to do with the way I've changed and I'm drawing harder boundaries. But yeah, I think that mental trick of saying, okay, it's at zero, I turn it off and I walk away. That is easy to do when you have got it down to zero. Yes. I'm thinking that there's going to be lots of people that never have the tasks down to zero, that never have the emails down to zero. <laughs> I mean, I guess some tasks just, you can't resolve straight away because you're waiting on results and things like that. So they're going to be sitting, yes. sitting around. But some emails, you just, you just don't have time to get to everything. So what do you do if you can't achieve that elusive zero that's inbox? That's a really good point. Because uh, <laughs> at the moment, having said I drain stuff to zero, I have left myself a coroner's report to deal with on Christmas Eve. Because what else would you want to do on Christmas Eve? <laughs> That's a, a nice cheery report. thing to do. Mm. So yeah, no, I think there's a sort of a second mental trick for me, which is about compartmentalizing life. And this is something that my wife and I talk about on a fairly regular basis. So Hillary uh, often talks about me, yeah, about, about having, about putting life in a box. So I've got boxes mm. in my head. And I don't know that I, but that's something I did consciously, but it certainly seems to reflect my reality that work goes in its box and I do my best not to think about it. And it, it is that is that almost deciding not to think about it, deciding not to open that box and recognizing that it doesn't belong in my head. And I don't give it space. That's OK up to a point. But sometimes you're worried about stuff or stuff weighs on you or you're anxious you made a mistake or whatever it happens to be. Uh, that can be... That could be hard to cope with, can't it? So how do you do that, Jamie? How do you actually put work away in a box when there might be things hanging over you or say if there's a difficult situation or 
I have a colleague who has a complaint hanging over him and it's quite difficult for him not to be thinking about that all the time. Yeah, I'd recognise that difficulty and that challenge that sometimes stuff just weighs on us. And I think it depends. I guess I would sort this into two groups of issue. One group is is about just the day-to-day stuff of work and is about you know that sort of sense of worrying about tomorrow, of worrying about what's past, of the day-to-day grind. And then I would view almost as, as a separate thing of that experience of I'm worried about a complaint or I'm worried that I've harmed someone or I've done something wrong, a serious error type stuff. And I think those are two separate things. And I think that the approaches I would take would be different for the two. So I think in terms of dealing with the daily grind first, because in some ways that's easier. I think some of that is about mental discipline, but I think it's also about the discipline of looking after ourselves, of recognizing that that if we drag tomorrow into today, that doesn't make tomorrow less worrying for us. Um, Yes. All it means is that we worry twice. So that, that kind of sense of worrying about tomorrow and am I going to be able to cope and what will it bring? And that is not productive. It's just worry. And so something about just learning to recognize those thoughts. I mean, I guess for me, these these are sort of techniques of mindfulness, aren't they, almost? Of recognizing those as thoughts and as feelings, uh, accepting that that is what, you know, they are what they are, being kind to yourself in that moment, but also choosing not to dwell on them, not to allow them to dominate your, your internal world. And just practicing those disciplines of choosing what we attend to. And so trying to come home and choose not to attend to those thoughts. Sometimes making space is helpful, isn't it? That that sort of, you know, those transitional states. When I was early in my career, I did a job in A&E where I was living about 45 minutes drive away from the A&E department I was working. That ended badly uh, with falling asleep at the wheel. Oh, my word. Yeah, a story for another day. But actually, up until that point, I had found it helpful, that experience of having kind of a 40-minute drive on a very thin road without lots of traffic, without lots of decisions to make, basically a straight road. Just that headspace to get the patients out of my head and get my head back into the, into the kind of family space. So paying attention to transition moments, I think, can be useful as well. Yeah, I was watching a really good TED talk, which I'll put in the show links. Someone talking about that transition space. He calls it the third space. I sort of call it the decompression zone, where you either have like a a little bit of of time. So like you in the car or people might be commuting on a train or you might be walking home. Or you create that time yourself where you go through the transition between work and home and the speaker was suggesting some things to do so it's not just you sit in the car but you almost ritualize it yes so you sort of reflect firstly you you actually reflect on the day you think what happens today you know what went well what went less well what could I do differently what have I got to do tomorrow so you sort of put the day to bed as it were and then you sort of rest a bit and you sort of do something to get you out of work mode and then you sort of consciously reset yourself And I know the speaker said what he did was he got home from work. He went immediately went out for a walk with a dog and possibly one or two children, you know, depending on the the time of year, the time of day, took them to the park while the dog was running around and the children were on the playthings. He just consciously reset the day. And he was also telling a story about another sort of very high powered executive who had actually built a different entrance to his home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was in America. I think this is where you've got enough space to do that sort of thing, <laughs> you know, an entire different wing. And so he would park his car in the garage 
and then come in at a different entrance, which led straight into his bedroom. So he could just consciously have a shower, sit down, maybe do 10 minutes of mindfulness and completely shake off the day. And then he was ready to be completely present with his kids because he'd realized that actually his children were starting to become frightened of him when he got home because he'd just be barking orders at them and just, you know, just still in very driven work mode. And that just really, really struck me as something really important for us to do. And I think, guess that's a little bit more healthy than just going straight to the fridge, eating cheese directly off the block of cheese and pouring yourself <laughs> a large glass of wine, which I have been known to do. I was going to say, you've been watching me in my kitchen after work, haven't you? There's <laughs> nothing like a huge, massive block of cheddar. Yeah, rather large mice in the fridge. <laughs> But I don't know, is, is that something that, that you recognise would be helpful? Yes, absolutely. And I think, I think it's about finding our own way into that. Not all of us are going to be able to build a new entrance to our house. But I think just that sense of, OK, let's, let's pay attention to those transitional spaces. Yeah, I mean, I remember when, I don't do it these days, but I used to wear smarter clothes to work these days. I have a jeans and a scruffy shirt bloke, but um, even in practice. But yeah, I used to wear smarter clothes. And so there was something about coming home, mm. taking those off, putting slobby jeans on, I'm communicating to myself, I'm home. It's the other thing I think I'd say is that, that sense of being ready to engage with the next thing. And just those practices of, not just of presence, but also of gratefulness. I think sometimes we come home carrying baggage that our family isn't aware of. Um, so it's easy to come home having had a difficult day. And the first thing that your teenager or your spouse says to you is, oh, I've had such an awful day. And you kind of want to go, no, 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 no. You need to listen to my day. My day was harder. And then you can get into that terrible competitive busyness thing that, you know, it's just so toxic, isn't it? And you end up competing with one another, trying to, trying to out difficult one another's days instead of actually being, I guess, being kind to one another being there mm -hmm. with one another and so mm -hmm. sometimes it's helpful just before you walk in the door I guess to sort of preaching mm -hmm. to myself here really but just to consciously be grateful before you walk into the family home before you re-engage with the difficult teenagers before you see your spouse and all of the stress that they're carrying just to remind yourself I am grateful for these people and mm -hmm. that's helpful to walk back in I've also tried on occasion to do that before I walk into work I think of it as almost like a mental attitude adjustment of getting the pipe wrench out of my attitude and just trying to pull it back into, no, this is not how I want to walk into work, partly because this is not who I want to be at work or at home, but also because if I walk in with a bad attitude, that will dictate my, you know, the next hour of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And gratefulness is such a quick way of getting from an anxiety mindset to a calmer mindset. I find that so many times, you know, what are they think grateful for in this situation? In fact, I, when I pick up my, my nine-year-old daughter from school at the end of a, a long day, often she's, she's tired and she's hungry and we've got a 20-minute cycle home and she sort of starts telling me all the bad things that happened and how her friends have annoyed her and this and the other. Yes. And I'll just stop, I'll go, darling, okay, I, I hear that. It's important to hear that. But right, what went well today? What are you grateful for? And she's like, mom, do we have to do this? I say, yeah, we do. We do. So <laughs> right, I said, you know, we're not gonna have any snacks when we get home until we've listed three things we're grateful for. <laughs> so it's a bit like <laughs> gratefulness under duress. But you know what, even when she's doing it and doesn't want to do it, by the time she gets to her third thing, the conversation's completely changed and she's laughing and 
you know yes. because we're actually focusing on on what's good and, and what's gone well so I think it's really powerful I, that's right yeah I, I'm impressed that you're managing to do it with your nine-year-old that's that's very much a kind of robo mom kind of yeah. <laughs> I have to because I'm really knackered and stressed at the time. <laughs> and I'm like we've got to change this conversation but soon. It's teaching those practices of self-care and of learning to change your internal environment for yeah. yourself and not allowing that to dictate your future. It's that sense of, I've had a bad day up to this point, but actually I do have a change moment here and I could make it a better day from here on in just by yeah. one or two simple things. Yeah, and it's learning not to catastrophize that, that because one or two things have maybe gone wrong or I'm feeling like this about this thing, it's not necessarily applied to the rest of my life. And I'm dreadful for doing this when I'm feeling a bit down or low. I'm sort of saying, oh, well, this is not working, this not. And then I apply that to the whole of the rest of my life. And my partner just says, oh, Rachel, stop. You know, you always do this. You sort of generalize it. But actually, if you can actually define what it is and the boundaries of that, then it's, it's really, really helpful. When you were talking earlier about, you know, putting stuff in a box and, and, and not worrying about it, there are two, I think, very helpful CBT type techniques I know that one of my children was very anxious at one point so we got this sort of I think it was called starving the anxiety gremlin it was really good but they suggest this sort of worry box so you you put all these things into the worry box if you start worrying about it and you say I will worry about these but I'm going to worry about them at seven o'clock this evening are you constantly stressed and thinking about work does your laptop come with you on holiday your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. You give yourself a time when you know you're going to go back and worry about them. And it's really helpful because you're not saying, well, I'm just going to stop. It's not important enough to worry. You're going, you know, it's, it is important. I'm going to worry, but I'm going to do it later. And nine times out of 10, you'll get to seven o'clock and the worry will have gone. So you won't need to. Mm. But even if it does, you can then just talk about it or, or think about it. For a bit and then think well okay I've done that and then the second technique which I really like is simply distract yourself yes and you find yourself into this cycle just go do something go I don't know do 50 star jumps or go and do the washing up or do something that maybe takes a bit more mental energy than washing up perhaps <laughs> just to just to start thinking about something else it's quite a good you know, it's a pretty simple technique but it's helpful I think that's absolutely right. And I, I guess the two things that, that I would recognize in myself on that are, uh, are cooking, because it's something with your hands, it's something creative, it's a slightly different space. Uh, if my family ever listen to this podcast, they will go, yeah, but you do occasionally swear at the, uh, swear at the pots and pans as they fall out of the cupboard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but it's much better getting stressed about the vegetables than it is about worrying about what's just got on your day that you can't actually change. Swearing, swearing at the pans rather than swearing at the family. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm not certain they receive it as such. But secondly, yeah, that sense of distraction of maybe choosing to listen to a podcast, doing something that, that just takes you to a different space and different place. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So the sort of second problem that questioner has is about 
having this admin, so not, I guess, not being able to get to inbox zero and just feeling it's hanging over them. They have to do it at the weekend or on the days when they're supposed to be doing other stuff. You know, what advice would you give people there? I think the first thing that strikes me in this is just to recognize that our questioner in this scenario is a salaried GP. And so the first thing I want to be saying is that's really interesting. The practice has given you a laptop explicitly so that you can dial in from home. Now, I'm a salary GP. The practice has given me a laptop so that I can provide excellent quality care when I am in a care home, not so that I can dial in from home, although confession time, I do occasionally do it, often, but occasionally. But I think there's just, for me, there's a red flag in this scenario and that this, that our questioner has accepted an offer from the practice, which is, we'd like you to use your non-work time to do work. That's a, an offer. It's a proposal from the practice. Who knows how it arose? Perhaps it arose from our questioner saying, I'm really struggling. How can we deal with this? I really, you know, what can you do? And this was a, a, an offer that they made. Well, would it help if sort of thing? But it's a dangerous offer. And I guess the first thing I'd want to ask our questioner is, so are the practice recognising that you are giving them home time? Is that something that's appearing in your contract? Is it something that's appearing in your pay packet? What's the frame around this? That's maybe a quite an assertive place to start, but I think for me, there's something there about boundaries. Yeah. I think this would be a different conversation if, the, if that individual were a partner, because yes. I think that the, the boundaries there are very different. But in this scenario, as a salary GP, it is legitimate to say, there's a choice that's been made and you've chosen to accept the gift of a laptop yeah. in order that they have access to your home time. Yeah. Are you it, sure about that? It's really hard though, isn't it? And we discuss this a lot on the, the courses because, you know, often people are requesting laptops so that they can get away from work to pick up their children, for example. So they know that if they can get away by six on the dots, so they they know that if they can get away from work at six o'clock on the dot to pick up their child, which they, they have to from nursery or something mm -hmm. like that, then there's that sort of safety valve of, well, I can finish off my admin at a later date. And I mean, let's face it, I don't really know any GP that can fit all their work from two surgeries into four and a half hours. And so are we accepting that as a salary GP doing six sessions, actually it's going to be more like eight sessions of actual work and my salary is, is what I'm paid overall and I've just got to suck up the admin. So I guess there's two things you could do. You could either go to the practice and say, actually, you know, I, I don't want to do any work at home. That's not acceptable. And my hours have to be this and I will be leaving at this time. Then probably guaranteed there's going to be some extra work left over and I don't know how that would work. Or do we just accept it and say, okay, this is, this is just how it is. And my choices are now, how many sessions do I work? Where do I work? Am I happy to do this extra work in my, in my home time? But if I am, maybe I need to actually choose when I'm going to do it so that it's not hanging over me all weekend. Yes. I don't know. What are your thoughts? And I think also there's something about recognising that not all work is created equal and the ways in which we interact with that work changes in the, the time and the resource we have. What am I saying? I guess I would recognise that if I'm at work, I might choose to say I'm going to do this, this and this and that for today is good enough. 
But sometimes if I've recovered a bit, it's almost like my perfectionism capacitor has recharged and is ready to discharge itself back into my life, causing chaos wherever it goes. Uh, and so then I'm at home and I'm like, no, I have to get this inbox to zero. Okay, that's interesting. If you'd been at work, you would have left with the inbox at zero based on the bloods that had come in up to, call it half five or six. But now here you are at eight at night and you're going to do 10 more bloods because they've come in. And you say, well, it's only 10 bloods. What's the big deal? Well, okay, but that's a choice you're making. If you choose to say it's only 10 bloods, what's the big deal? You are choosing to do that additional discretionary work. You might legitimately say, well, I'm not going to do those bloods today. Yeah. And reining in that perfectionism, that tendency to want everything to zero and everything done perfectly. Yeah. And I would argue, actually, that if you're doing it at eight, nine, ten o'clock at night and you've had a day at work, you're going to be so inefficient anyway. Yes. Because the evidence is, I think, that we've probably got eight to ten hours of work in us per day. And then after that, you might as well not be there because your productivity and efficiency just go down massively. I do think it's worth our questioner asking themselves, when are they most productive? Because, again, I know this is an example I sometimes use on on the courses that we teach, that that recognising that for myself, what I used to do was to do my bloods at the end of the day. Now I do them at the very beginning of the day. Now, since we've uh, since we've merged with another surgery, they have a slightly different culture and they do their bloods all through the day. Whereas the way we used to organise it was you do your bloods at the beginning of the day, so the box is empty. And then you walk away because the box was emptied at the beginning of the day. It will be emptied again at the beginning of tomorrow. Okay, yes, at the end of the week, at the end of the week, walk out to an empty box. But that just that sense of doing it when you're at your cognitive brightest. The yeah. tasks which will take you longest do first kind of thing. Otherwise, what you find is that blood switch you could deal with in half an hour, take an hour and 10 minutes of worry and fertling about in the record and doing all of that kind of stuff. Instead of getting them done quickly, you end up doing them slowly when you're tired. Yeah. So you may be better to choose to transfer that task into a brighter moment. Say, well, okay, I am going to give them some of my home time, but that home time is going to be between half six and seven. When I've got coffee next to me in my jammies, I'm going to blaze through them when nobody else in the house is awake. Then I'll go and have a shower and go to work. Yeah. It's it's about being in control, isn't it? And feeling actually, this is when I have chosen to do this. And this is when I'm going to do it. So it just doesn't bleed out into other things. And time always, sorry, it's not time. Tasks always expand to fill the time allocated I, I definitely have found that and I think the point about doing your best work at your best time is really important and I certainly teach this in my shapes toolkit courses because a lot of us first thing in the morning what do we do we deal with emails we sort of turn on our computer the first thing we do is look at emails and sort them out actually mm-hmm. emails are a very low quality task so emails are the sorts of things you can do while you're being interrupted by other people asking you stuff because each email may may take a minute to up to five minutes to answer you can be interrupted whereas if you're maybe writing a report or doing a project or doing something that takes deep thought yeah absolutely do it when you're at the best and most people are at their best first thing in the morning there are Mm -hmm. some people that are better the best in the evening and you will know who you are but most people are, and I've, I've started to do this now is, is actually say, right, what am I going to do first thing in the morning before I even check my emails? I'll, I'll work on that project or that presentation 
or that piece of content that I want to do. In fact, we're doing this podcast first thing in the morning, aren't we? Because I think it's a really productive time to do it and the best time to really get the best out of people. So paying attention to when you're doing stuff. And also I had um, Dr. Gandalf on the podcast a few episodes ago and Mm -hmm. he was giving us some really useful productivity hacks. And one of the things he said was to batch things. So Mm -hmm. absolutely do all your bloods at the same time. Don't just do them in dribs and drabs as they come in through the day. You'll do them so much quicker if you just do them all at once. If you go through all your documents all at once, go through all the emails all at once. So don't just chop and change between tasks all the time as far as possible. Obviously, if you're on call, it's slightly different, isn't it? I think it is. But even then, you can try to do one task at a time. Yeah, I think not allowing yourself to get bogged down in a task. I think so. I experience that my best work sometimes occurs when, I've, when I'm under pressure. Sometimes using that, that trick, the Pomodoro technique, which I'm not, not massively a fan of, but it does have, but that idea that you'd use short bursts, almost like, almost like mini sprints inside a day. They'd say, well, okay, I'm going to do 25 minutes on the bloods now. Yeah, so the Pomodoro technique, for people who don't know, is where you allocate your time into 25-minute slots and then have a five-minute break. It's called Pomodoro because I think the person that devised it had one of those tomato timers. (laughs) So they did 25 minutes, so therefore they called it the Pomodoro technique. I I didn't know that. There you go. Well, did you never think, why on earth is it called the Pomodoro technique? No, it didn't occur to me. Yeah, there you go. So I think something about planning your day, planning your time. And for this person who's just feeling that the work is going into every bit of their life it may well be that just allocating a couple of hours on their day off when they know they've got time to spend in quality work you know put on your favorite music have a nice cup of tea or go to a nice cafe and do it do it and then plan something nice after you've done it will just maybe stop them from staying extra late after their really long days at work or stop them thinking oh I just need to do this in the evening because you know you've got that slot booked in you know you can probably just pummel through loads and loads of stuff then and then that will leave the weekend free yes Uh, that sense of freedom of saying okay I, I will do what I need to do I'll do it inside this time span and then I am free I've earned my freedom but a lot of us just do things in dribs and drabs, don't we, rather than actually sitting down and planning it out and accepting it. It's interesting. I, I think it was the same TED talk that talked about this sort of third space way of getting your head out of work and into home life. He said a lot of people say that they want more life outside of work. And actually, when they've done the research, it's not that people want an increased quantity of time outside work. They want a better quality of time outside work. I think that's so true because we actually do have more time than we think we do. But often we sort of spend it just lying around thinking about what we need to do or what we haven't done and sort of frittering away the time. Yes. But actually being really intentional about how we use our time off as well as how we use our time at work is really important, I think. I think that's right. And I think also, I guess what occurs to me thinking about that is, is also the, the subtle ways in which frittering at the ends of days destroy the next day's productivity so the the 45 minutes to an hour of watching crap telly after 10 p.m i never do that jamie you know me (laughs) (laughs) definitely not love island (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the uh, highlight of my week. <laughs> but, oh my God. but which which is fine. But in that case, you know, watch it on demand. That, that it's like <laughs> doing, doing it at the end of a day when you're exhausted and you're kind of somehow trying to claw back some relaxation or reward from a day that you felt wrung out and emptied by. Actually, far better to say, okay, I'm done with today. I'm going to go to bed, read a book and turn the light out 45 minutes earlier than I normally would. You will have a far better day tomorrow. Then if you have just, you know, that extra gin and tonic and maybe watch a bit of crap telly and before you know it, it's midnight and you're going to be exhausted the next day and a little bit hungover. Yeah. Uh, Kind of just just recognising, okay, today's been a challenge. I'm going to walk away from it now rather than fertling at the end of the day. Yeah. So any other top tips before we wrap up this episode? I guess I just want to kind of flag that we talked about two different sorts of ways in which work can erode our lives. We haven't addressed the question of what if what's eroding is worry about significant error, about mm-hmm. significant events, about big big things, worry about conflict in the partnership, worry about you know, challenging colleagues, whatever it happens to be. Not just the the day, we talked a lot about the day-to-day erosion, that sometimes there are bigger things. And I think they need different strategies. Yeah. I don't think what we've been talking about will necessarily deal with them. And maybe we should just address that on another podcast and recognise yeah. that's a it's a separate question. But I guess I'd want to wave a flag to those people struggling with that. Something about getting support, yeah. about finding friends that you can share with, who understand and who will support you through that. Thinking about using using mindfulness uh, and also actually think it may be about reflective writing a mm. way of trying to get the difficult stuff the big difficult stuff you know you don't need to do a piece of reflective writing on a busy day that had too many patients and too many bloods and too many papers and too much of everything that's just a busy day it's mm. okay what we talked about is how to deal with that but for the big stuff taking a more deliberate approach i think if there is big stuff going on just be aware that there's a little red flag waving and go, okay, there's this stuff going on for me now. Probably now is not the time to take on a lot of extra work Mm. or start something really big that it's going to take up a lot of my time. I need to look after myself a bit now and I need to search out those things that will be helpful. So I think like you mentioned, connection with other people and talking things through really, really important. So, you know, just to say, be kind to yourself. If yeah. you're going through something that's taking up a lot of headspace and it often things outside of work as well as stuff inside of work, worries about children, being in a difficult relationship, all those sorts of things. And sometimes getting some therapy or, you know, actually talking to a counsellor or, or something like that can be really, really helpful as well. Yes. Let's talk about that on another podcast we'll, we'll get you back issue, to another plenty one. of room to talk about yeah, yeah absolutely but thank you so much jamie for all your wise words that's been really helpful lots of food for thought there and uh, if any of our listeners have a dilemma that they'd like us to discuss then please uh, either email me at rachel at wildmonday.co.uk or you can direct message me on twitter which is i'm at dr rachel morris or you can join my facebook group which is the shapes collective and we can have a discussion but please just let us know any queries any issues you've got and we will try and discuss them here that would be great brilliant be fantastic so jamie have a really good day thank you rachel you too okay speak soon bye bye now
for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now.